And I've entitled this message, Our Sure Hope. Our sure hope. And uh, we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And then next week we'll pick up with 4 through 10. John writes, chapter 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because he will, we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Let's pray. Father, thank You for... Thank you for Hazelwood Baptist Church, Lord. Thank you for the, the wonderful people that you've placed here and the opportunity that has been afforded me to stand before these people and share your, the, the unsearchable riches of your, of your word. Now, Father, I pray that you will empower us both in our speaking and in our hearing, Lord, that uh, we would say and we would hear that which is from your word. Lord, that uh, we would receive the truth, and that truth would set us free. We thank you in Christ's name, amen. So last week we looked at the working of those who possess a, the, the spirit of Antichrist, John says. There are those out there uh, who possess the spirit of Antichrist. And he says that because there are some people that do not believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. That is that Jesus Christ is God, and he's come in the flesh uh, 100% human, 100% divine. There is nobody else like that before or since or will ever be. Uh, there is only one Jesus Christ who came, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless, perfect life, died on a cross, bearing our sins in the Father's wrath, wrath was, was buried in a tomb and raised again on the third day, descended into glory, and He's coming back. Uh, there's only one person. That's Jesus Christ. But there are those who deny those essential truths, especially that of the incarnation. So as we have noted, they, they are false prophets who seek to pollute and dilute the truth of God's infallible Word. They, they support a theology that is corrupt, dis, disruptive, destructive, and divisive. But as we begin today's message, we see the working of the Holy Spirit that in you, the church, you and I, the church, uh, the Holy Spirit produces uh, the element of His fruit in us, and that part of that fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. You know, as you look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, He lists the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But the very first one is love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that he is, if he does not have love, he's a clanging cymbal. If I were to be playing the drums right now, you'd be hearing clanging cymbals because there wouldn't be any, any, any rhythm to that whatsoever. So that's what we would be without love. So the Holy Spirit produces love within us. And the love that, uh, that God, not only that, but the love that God has for us as His children. So John writes in verse 1, he says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. 
Now, not only do we have God's love in and upon us, but we are also called in verse 1, the children, we're called the children of God. Friends, we the church are God's adopted, we are God's adopted children and will always be His children. If you're familiar with, with, with adoption, you know that when a child is adopted into a home, that child is there forever. When those adoption papers are signed, they are, they, are, they are signed and sealed forever. But when God adopts us, it is not just for an earthly forever, it is for an eternity forever. We will be His children forever. Those of you who believe in eternal security, this ought to be one of the things that you go to, that when the Bible says that you are adopted into God's kingdom, into His glory, when you're adopted into His family, folks, that adoption is there forever. You don't, you don't will your way in. You don't sing your way out. You're there forever. Listen, God pursues you while you fled from Him. He brings you into His kingdom. You are there eternally, and no one takes you from His hand. We, the church, are not only God's adopted children, but we also read in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5, that says that He has predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. When we look at the word predestined, you know, some people, when they see that word, they get all jittery inside. It's, oh, good, now we're going to talk about predestination. And they get scared that something, you know, that the world's going to collapse if we talk about it. But that should make you happy. As a church, that word predestined ought to make you happy. It means that the word literally means, predestined means that God has appointed someone to a position. God has appointed someone to a position. He has appointed you to a position. He, in Romans 8, 29, we read that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. So what position has He predestined us to? And that is to be that we are going to be like Jesus. We are going to have glorified bodies like Jesus. There is a day coming, folks, you know, when, when the full redemption occurs in our lives, the full redemption will not occur until Jesus comes back and we are, and the, and the body and the spirit of the person are put back together again. You know, when we die, when we die, you say, well, we, we will go to, we will go to be in, in heaven with Jesus. Well, the spirit part of us does that. But there is coming a day when the, when the dead in Christ, and he's not talking about Baptists, but when the dead in Christ will be raised up and, and, you know, the dead in Christ are going to rise, and the church is going to rise, those, those that remain. And we are, there's going to be a, a union between the body and the spirit, and we are going to have new glorified bodies. We're going to be tra totally transformed. The full redemption will take place. We'll be totally transformed into that, and having a glorified body just like Jesus Christ. God has predestined that for you, the church. That should make you happy. That should make you glad that God, God is going to do something in your life that nobody else other than the church is going to experience. You get the same idea in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11 where it tells us that we the predestined are, are, are to be as heirs. We are God's heirs. 
Listen, friends, it is God who has appointed us to salvation, God who's appointed us to adoption, and God who will appoint us to glory. We will, be, we will be with him for eternity because God has decreed and determined that that is the way it is going to be. Let me just give you, let's make it as simple as I can. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, 14, that God has sealed you. You are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is given you as a, as, a, as a token, as a guarantee, as a guarantee of the promise that He is going to bring you to glory. But notice also in verse 1 the phrase, and such we are. We are God's children, not by human nature, but by grace. Everybody is not a child of God. I don't care what people say. Everybody is not. A, we are created in God's image, but not all of us folks are going to make it to, to glory. We're not going to have an eternal state with God. Not everybody, but just the church. The church both in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament. All of those whom God has put His grace upon and brought to Himself. All of those, all of us, all of us will have an eternal state with God. What the world is unable to grasp is the idea that the, the divine nature of God is, is in the believer only. I've said this before, and I'll tell you again. In the world's view, many seem to think that all people, they think that everybody has a spark of divinity, a spark of God in them. That is not, that's unbiblical. There, there is nothing in the Bible that says that. Nothing. Nowhere. Yes, we are created in God's image. That means that we have a, there, there is in every human being born the fact that there is a capacity for spirituality. A capacity, a capacity that says that there needs to be a God in that life. God needs to be in that life. But you know what? Most of the people, folks, let me tell you this. You'll, you'll read this in Matthew chapter 7. Most people, when they see the narrow gate and they see the broad gate, which way are they going to go? They're going to go to the broad gate. That's where all the people go. When, when Patty and I go to a restaurant, I'll look in the window. If, if nobody's in that restaurant, if there's not a group of people, I don't want to go in there because they tell me maybe the food's not good. So I, I want to go to a restaurant where there's people at because that tells me that the food is good. You walk into a restaurant on a, on a, on a Saturday morning at, at 7.30, and it's, and it's a breakfast restaurant, and you walk in, there and there's only one person sitting in there. You may think, that food's not good. But you walk in, there and every table's full, and there's a standing line only, a standing room only. Then you know that people go there because they want to eat that food. So the world thinks, I'm going to go to this broad gate where everybody, everybody just crowded in there. That broad gate does not lead to glory, according to Matthew chapter 7. It leads to what? It leads to perdition. It is the narrow gate. It is the narrow gate. The one where you barely get through. The narrow gate that leads to eternal life. It is a narrow way. It is a narrow path. 
It is not eclectic where everyone and everything with every idea they have, everybody can go through it. Whatever, whatever you believe is fine. You know, there are some people who believe, whatever you believe is fine. As long as we believe in something or someone. Well, that's not true. That's the broad gate. The narrow gate. It says, Jesus, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one, no one comes to the Father or gets to the Father. will see the Father. will be in glory of the Father unless they go through me. Just the opposite is true of those who hold this view of the spark of divinity. At the very, at the very moment, at the very moment, the very second of conception, when, when seed and egg meet and life is formed, there is a soul, and that soul is destined for death because that soul has an inherited sin. The Bible says that soul that sins will die. The very moment of second of conception, the soul that sins will die. And so we will, every one of us. Unless the Lord returns and raptures his church, that's the only way it's not going to happen. If he, if he delays, if he delays his return, then eventually we will all, we will all pass from this world. We will be given a new body, a body that is not destined for corruption or decay or death, but one that will live forever. That fallen nature that we possess at the time of conception, it is that nature that opposes God. Look also in verse 1. It says, for this reason the world does not know us because it did not know him. Just as you cannot fully know a person, you cannot fully know a person unless you spend some time with that person, unless you have fellowship with that person, unless you commune with that person, unless you sit down and talk with that person, you got to spend some time. You will not know that person. And the same idea is true that you cannot really know God unless you spend some time with Him. If you are going to know a person, if you are going to know God, there must be a shared interest. It is not just God wanting to know you. It is you wanting to know God. There must be the shared interest of, of communion between the two of you. And what just what befuddles my mind is that, that, that shared interest, that shared communion takes place when people come together for worship. And, and, and it, it blows my mind to think that people say that I'm a Christian, but yet they have no desire to come into a house of God and worship. Where is that shared interest? They say, well, God loves me. And, when I, and, and please don't 
don't, don't come and approach me about this. But people say, well, I, can, I don't need to be in church. I can go out in somewhere else. I can be out in the Bahamas what I, and worship. Listen, folks, yes, you can. But you know what? The Bible also talks, talks about not forsaking the coming together, the assembling of yourselves together. We come together as God's church to worship Him. The most important thing that we do in this world is to worship God. It's the most important thing. Jesus, if you, if you love mother or father more than me, if you love son or daughter more than me, if you love yourself more than me, He says, then you're not worthy of me. He tells the woman at the well in John chapter 4, listen, she's talking about where to worship God. He says, listen, God needs to be, God must be worshiped in spirit and in truth. God must be worshiped. Do you hear that, folks? God must be worshiped. We grow mature when we come together and worship God. Therefore, it is only the Christian, it is only the Christian who are able to walk by faith. Because you are Christian, only you are able to walk. The world cannot walk by faith. Only you can walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. And it is the Christian who are, who's able to do that which pleases God. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please Him. It is God, listen, it is God who gives us saving faith to begin with, and it is we, the church, who are to exercise that faith. God gives you saving faith. God, God places that faith to put your trust into Him. God gives you that faith. And when God gives you that faith, we are to do what with it? We're not to take that faith to the bus stop and sit there and wait for the bus to come pick us up and take us to glory. We're to take that faith for whatever years God will give us on this earth. We're to exercise that faith with whatever giftedness God gives us. Whatever God has given you the ability to do, do it with all your heart to the glory of God. Exercise the faith that God has given you. Verse 2. You see the phrase, we, we shall be like him. Now, friends, this is what you and I are so anxiously waiting for. It is about the coming in time when we will have attained to that glorified state when we shall be raised up at the coming of our Lord. I believe it is soon. Uh, you know, of course, I've been hearing that for all, all, of my, all of my life as a pastor, minister, I've been hearing that, you know, Jesus is that close. Well, I, you know, they say he's that close. Well, right now I think he's this close. I just, you're really getting there. But folks, I tell you what, when I started this journey in 1969, he was that close. And I'm going to tell you something right now. After all those years, he's still that close. We're, we're, them, we're that many years closer than what we were back when I got saved. But I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ is soon to come back. We anxiously wait for that. We, the church, 
shall see him in the brilliance of his glory. Verse 3 says, there are a couple of words in verse 3 that I want you to look at. They are the words hope. If you look at verse 3, the words hope and pure. John says in verse 3, everyone who has this hope. Now, brothers and sisters, this is about you and I, you and me. This is about the church. So what do you have your hope fixed on? Friend, let me ask you, what do you have your hope fixed on? Is it your job? Is it your money? Is it the government? Is it your ability? If you have your hope fixed upon these things and other things like that, then you are taking a gamble that these things are going to come through for you in your everyday circumstance or whatever crisis may come your way. There are just some things that money cannot buy. There are just some things that government cannot fix. There are just some things that, 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 that possessions cannot be bartered with. You can't barter possessions for. Just some things, it ain't going to happen. In short, they offer you no guarantee. But look at verse 3. The word hope, the word hope means a whole lot more than a risky gamble. Because everything else is just a risky gamble. So what does hope mean? When John speaks of hope here in this verse, the word hope is elpida in the Greek. And it has a meaning that we can be certain that one day that Jesus Christ is going to return and we are to have the fullest confidence that we will be conformed into His image you should have the fullest confidence as a Christian. You should have the absolute total confidence that someday that God is going to conform you, transform you, change you into the image of His Son, that you'll receive a glorified body. Now, folks, that is a sure hope. That's a hope that you can take to the bank. It's not a risky gamble. It is an absolute for certain. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are to conform our behavior then because we know that Christ is going to conform us to his image. Then we need to, then because that's going to happen, we need to conform our behavior to be like that of our Lord. However, we've got this problem. And the problem that we have is that you and I are a bunch of sinners. I can't help it. You can't help it. We're going to sin. You know, one time I think I went five seconds without sinning. We are going to sin. All of us are going to sin. It is just as natural as breathing. As we do things, we, we do things that robs God of the glory that's due Him. Every one of us does that. And you tell yourself, oh, I, I don't want to do that. Yes, I have that same resolve in my own heart. I resolve, my, I don't want to do that. But guess what happens? Every day. I mess up. So the problem we have is sin. So let's look at verse 3 again. It says, everyone who has this hope fixed on him, not you, but on him, purifies himself, purifies the self, 
just as he is pure. So we see that hope is fixed in our hearts when this hope is certain, is a certainty in us that there is then a purifying work that's taking place. And now we know that God is doing a work in us because John goes on to say, just as he is pure. That what, what happens then is when, when you realize that you're going to be conformed to Jesus' image, you say that I want to then conform my life to a pure behavior. So you want to govern your life that as much as is possible within yourself, that you want to walk what they used to call the straight and narrow. You want to walk that as certain as you can. You're going to be as absolute. And when you mess up, when you deviate from that path, the first thing you do because your desire is to do God's will is by faith, is by faith, you repent of your sin and trust that God, knowingly trust that God has forgiven your sins and has cleansed you from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9, and you get back on that path again. You veer off and you confess that sin and you get back on that path. And your life is just like that. You keep on veering away, but you keep on going on that path. And on and on and on you go until you finally reach that final destination when God has totally painted your picture and he signed his name to it and you're with him in glory. That's what God does. But your resolve is, I want to continue to go. And when I veer off the path, I'm going to get back on the path again. And we veer off the path every day of our lives. But we want our behavior to conform as much as is in us to, the, to being as pure as we can in our lives. That we treat other people with dignity and honor and respect. That we look at God and we say, God, my number one priority in my life is to worship you and honor you and give you glory. That is the chief aim of my life is to glorify you in my worship, in my time, in my life, in my breathing, and in my sleeping. I want to glorify you. Hmm. He says, so this hope then is fixed in us, that there's a purifying work. God is day by day renewing, transforming, conforming, and molding us into a people who are after his heart. Now what that means is this. Jesus lived his entire earthly life without any sin. He's the only one that can ever do that. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. So understand that there is no possible way that you and I could go through this life and not sin. Jesus did, but we can't do that. But it does mean that you and I as believers are to desire to live a life that would make us want to live a life that is pure. I want to live a life that is pure. I don't always do that, but I know that I can repent of my sin and get back on track again every time, every time. And listen, it is the work of the Holy Spirit who deepens that desire. He deepens that desire in our hearts to live a deeper, fuller life that reflects that Christ is in us, our hope of glory. I want to bring, at this point, a, a word of caution. Look at verse 3 again where it says two words, purifies himself. 
that should not be taken as to mean that we can do some virtuous work on our own ability. You know, one thing I've discovered is I cannot do anything virtuous on my own ability unless God is working in and through me, unless God is working in and through you. You cannot do some virtuous work apart from Him. John 15, 5 says, Jesus says, for, listen very carefully, for apart from me, Jesus, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If there is a virtuous work happening in your life, if there's a purifying process taking place in your life, it is not because you have that innate ability to do that. It is because that God is working in you. Apart from me, Jesus, you can do nothing. It is Christ in you who is your hope of glory. It is you are cooperating with Christ, but you can't say, well, I'm doing this myself. We are a spiritually bankrupt people. But when Christ enters into our life, then He becomes the enabler. He becomes the power within us to do that which pleases Him. Because what pleases Him is faith. I do not have the faith in and of myself apart from that faith that God has allowed me to have to believe in Him and the faith that I am to exercise because God is in me. I cannot do that on my own without God. I don't have that ability, neither do you. But God working in you. When the Bible says that we're to work out our salvation, you're able to work that out because you're working it out because God has worked it in. It is God in you. There is nothing other than the work of God who empowers the believer to carry out the desire for living a life that is both pure and pleasing to Him. It is the Holy Spirit who deepens the intent of one's heart of becoming more like Christ. And with the resolve to put sin out of your his or her, your, our life. In Philippians 2.5, in Philippians 2.5, and we're, we're coming to a close here. Paul writes to the church at, uh, at Philippi, says, have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have this attitude in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So then, in closing, we should ask ourselves this question, what attitude of Jesus are we to have that purifies me, that purifies Hazelwood Baptist Church, that purifies God's church everywhere? What, what is this attitude that we're supposed to have? Jesus is our model for the Christian life. And this is seen in the book of Philippians and is seen in the lives of every believer. So I would ask you to turn, if you want to, turn to Philippians chapter 2 in your Bibles. I, I think this would really be an eye-opener. Because all these things I'm going to share with you, folks, that you on your own cannot do this unless God were in you. A person without God cannot do this without God being in them. So would you please turn to Philippians chapter 2.
in your Bibles. And, and, and note what Paul tells the Philippian church. In chapter 2, beginning at verse 2, he says that we are to, we're, we are being, we're to be of the same mind. We're to be of the same mind. Verse 2, we're to maintain the same love. Verse 3, being united in spirit. Verse 2, intent on one purpose. You know what you're seeing over and over and over and over again and all that? Unity. Unity. Not, not equality of giftedness. Not equality of ability, but unity in all things. Listen, folks, all of us, all of us don't do the same thing. Some of you can make a wonderful, listen, some of you can make wonderful, being wonderful greeters. Some of you can sing. If they were to say, Pat, I need you to come up here because you're equal. Come up here and sing. If Dave asked me to come up here and sing, you would run out of here. I guarantee you, in the shower, I sound like Elvis Presley. But up here, I sound like Don Knotts. It's terrible. So I'm not equal to that. There's not equality of giftedness. I cannot do this. If Eric says, Pat, play the guitar like I I can't do that. I can't sing. I can't play an instrument. I was building something in my garage the other day. I could barely play the radio. I couldn't find the station I wanted. It was terrible. Listen, folks, when it comes to music, that's not my skill. I'm not equal to other people. But one thing I can be, when this brother's playing a guitar or that brother's playing a piano, and when somebody's singing, whatever, I can be in unity with them. Because we're doing what? We're worshiping God together. All that is about unity. But we're not done. Look at, look at, verse, look at verse 3. He says we're to walk with what? Humility. We're to walk with humility. And we're to look out for the interests of others in verse 4. Look out for the interest. You know what? Every one of you are important. Every one of you are important. You're important to the church. You're important to me. But more than that, you're important to God. You're important enough that God gave His only begotten Son who died on a cross for you. And he bore His Father's wrath and He died. And you're important enough that He rose again and He has raised you up with Him. And He has seated you in glory with Him. And one of these days, all that will be realized in your life. You are important to God. You are His church. That is a purifying life, my friends. Those things I mentioned from Philippians 2, that's the purifying life. That is having the attitude of Jesus, who is our sure hope. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, Lord. Now, Lord, I pray that uh, as you will, Father, speak to the heart of a person, Lord, that you've determined that
today that maybe needs to know you as Savior. Lord, I cannot do that. This church cannot do that. No, no power on earth can do that. No spiritual power apart from you can do that, Lord. Only you can do that. Lord, draw that person to yourself. Lord, open their heart up to believe and put their trust in you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do in our church today, tomorrow, next week, next year, and until you return. In Jesus' name, amen.